Hello and welcome to the Mythological Africans podcast, where we read and talk about stories from African mythology and folklore. I am your host, Helen Day. Episodes of this podcast come from live recordings of the Mythological African Storytime Sessions, which took place on Friday evenings at 5 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. on the Mythological African's Twitter space. talk African mythology and folklore and um, today I thought we might talk a little bit about the thing that I've been filling up your timelines about uh, the book that I am working on the runaway princess and other stories and if you do not know about this which at this point I doubt there is anybody in my corner of Twitter who's not aware of this project I'm going to put a link to um, the, the Kickstarter into the chat so you can find out more about it. But it is my uh, attempt to give more life to African mythology and folklore, but to do it in a different way, or at least in a, in a way that I, I, I think offers a little bit more. And I talked about that some uh, a bit today on my personal Twitter page. And this is the, the idea that, you know, you, the average folklore you read just has, you know, the story told the series of events you know recounted um it's not like storytelling in our era where you go into the thoughts and feelings and ideas of the characters um you you might get you you might hear that the person felt joy or felt sadness but you don't really explore their their inner world in the way modern fiction writing does and there is some 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 justification to that. Laura and I have talked about this. If you remember, Laura, how because of the way life was organized back then, you know, it's not to say people didn't have thoughts and feelings and all of that, but it, it wasn't highlighted in the way that it's highlighted in our time now since we have writing, you know, um, a, a means by which, you know, you can basically see what's going on in your head on a piece of paper, you know, there was a lot more, you know, visual representations in art. There was a lot more song and dance and, you know, stuff happening outside in community. Um, But then you, you know, you are a human being, you know, you know that people had strong feelings, people had strong emotions. There was jealousy back then. There was love. There was hate. There was fear. There was hope. There was uh, wonder, you know, there were all these emotions that we feel now as human beings and people certainly experience them. So my, my, my goal with this story, uh, with this book, this collection of stories is sort of to say, hey, what if, what if these stories were being told in our time? What if these experiences as magical and extraordinary as they are were being told in our times? What could possibly be going through these people's heads? And more importantly, what could possibly be going through these women's heads? Because this book focuses exclusively on women and girls from African mythology and folklore. And um, if you if you are into mythology and folklore, you know that it, it just because of the way things have been 
organize who has been telling the stories and who has been collecting the stories, who has been prioritizing the stories, a lot of focus gets put on the, 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 the ideas of the men in the stories, their actions, their ideas, their accomplishments, their defeats, their triumphs, their trials, and not so much on what the women do. You know, It's not to say that there are no women in mythology and folklore around the world. Matter of fact, you, you really look closely at the stories. Women play pivotal roles, whether we're talking Adam and Eve we're talking, you know, um, um, Shakti and Vishnu from Indian mythology. We're talking whoever from whatever corner of the world, you know, um, the the woman in in uh, Native American, I forget which people in particular, who fell from the sky and seeded the earth and basically created everything. Or we're talking Hera, you know, in Greek mythology or Freya from the north. Basically, everywhere you go, women have played a pivotal role, women and girls. But in the way the stories have been told, the way they have been presented to us, you know, the, the, what women really think, how women really feel, tends to take a back seat. So my, my interest with this book is to put women in the front seat put African women in the front seat. So I've been talking a lot about the project this week. I launched the campaign. There's a promo video. There's some explanations on the on the Kickstarter, which if you haven't donated to, please, please go take a look. If you're inspired, drop something in there so we can make this project happen. And I also um, worked with the folks over at Folklore Thursday, which is one of the main promoters of mythology and folklore online here. Um, this week, we released uh, an excerpt from the book so a little snippet from one of the stories it's not the whole story and I can't wait to share this one with you guys but I was thinking this evening instead of having our standard you know get together to read and you know just talk about folklore we can talk about the book you know I'm, I hope you guys have questions you have thoughts about what you've seen so far um, I'll read an excerpt so the the excerpt that was published I'll read that we can talk about that a little bit and then yeah if you guys have questions thoughts comments I'm glad to hear them but just to sort of give people an opportunity to you know tell me what they're thinking about this what they think about the campaign because we have 26 more days to go and it started on such an amazing footing you guys um we we launched on monday and we're already 12 percent funded which to me is just mind-blowing that people believe in this so much so i'm really really hopeful and um i'm so excited to share this with you guys so let's let me let me stop here for a bit and open it up in case people have initial thoughts questions comments and then we'll read the excerpt and talk about it and just let things flow from there does that sound like a good plan everyone Looking okay, good for Laura. All right, so just quick pause, questions, comments, thoughts before we dive into the deep of things. If not, we're gonna go right into the reading. Seems like we're ready to hear a story, so let us go right ahead then. All right. So this excerpt is from the story Mother Monster. And you, you might be familiar with those two words because they refer to Konara. And I think what I will do is pull up the Konara because I have uh, some merchandise with this, with this campaign. I'm focusing on the, on the characters. Let me pull up Konara's mythological African. 
Let me pull up Konara's um, stuff so you can take a peek at her. Um, her story is a fascinating one. It's from the, the original story. is from the Hajarai people, and they are found in Chad. And it's a story that is told um, in many West and Central African countries. It's a story of, you know, that one of those cautionary tales that get told to girls. I don't want to give too much away. We have actually read Konara's story in this, in this um, space before. And but I thought I would really, you know, get into Konara's head and find out, you know, what was she, what was she thinking, you know, what, what were her motivations, what was driving her actions, you know, because in this in this particular version of the of the story, she 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 kind of deviates from the the plan, you know, it doesn't have the standard ending that that the the ending the ending that others versions of the story have from other people's so i, I kind of wanted to dig into her thoughts and feelings and kind of get a sense of what what's really going on here so let me let me do this i will share the link to the konara bag which this is also me doing a little bit of promo you guys so if you feel inspired by this please go check out the store all right so this is Konara, and I got uh, an incredibly talented artist to to depict her, because that's also something that I am very passionate about to make sure that the the images of the characters get captured. So check out the bag and keep that you know beautiful woman in mind as we read this excerpt. All right, Mother Monster. There was a beautiful woman possessed by a great magi. This Margai was a good spirit, so the land prospered where the woman lived. Millet grew tall and strong, and the winds never destroyed the fields. The women always came home from the bushes with baskets overflowing with cassava and fresh green leaves and sweet juicy berries and fruits. Termites and quailia birds flung themselves into the catcher's baskets and nets. Fresh water flowed from streams and springs. Even in that desperate time between the dry season and the rainy season, when food was scarce, people in the woman's settlement always had millet and groundnuts and meat. Illness never visited them. People lived to old age and died with dignity. Children were born strong and healthy. And so the people loved this Margai and the woman who served it. They offered sacrifices, sometimes even the very flesh of their bones or the essence of their souls. This made the beautiful woman ageless and the Margai even more powerful. But some chiefs in nearby settlements were jealous of the woman. Their Margai were not as powerful as the woman's Margai. The land did not offer them much and their people did not love them the way the people loved the woman. A woman cannot be chief, they said among themselves, and nobody should be so loved or Margai so venerated. So they tried to destroy the woman and her magai. They attacked in every conceivable way. But together, the woman and the magai stood great and strong like the mountain on which their settlement sat. After trying everything they could, the chiefs realized that the only way to destroy the woman and the magai was to make the people distrust the woman and stop sacrificing to the magai. They came together and plotted. Then they began to call the woman a flesh-eating sorceress who bound people in vicious spells so she could suck out their souls and feed on their flesh. They told their people and anyone who would listen to fear the woman. 
It took some time, but the chiefs were persistent, and eventually, people began to fear the woman. They avoided her settlement, refusing to trade with her people or marry them. They shuddered in fright when the Magai was mentioned. And soon, life for the woman and the people in her settlement became very difficult. Sacrifices to the Magai slowed down, and people started leaving. Crops began to fail. Season after season, the millet harvest got smaller and smaller. The women started coming home with empty baskets. The birds left the trees and did not return to nest or breed. Swarms of termites flew around aimlessly at night. More people left until at last the woman, who was now alone in the settlement, died from old age. The Magai, having no one to remember it, retreated into the mountain. All right, so there is more. And if you want to hear more, you can go. The link to the story is um, in the top part of the space. It was published by Focal Thursday. And like I said, this, this is a story inside a story. So this is a story that, you know, the, the protagonist, Konara, is telling to her daughter. And this story has significance for the rest of the story. So read the excerpt and uh, keep an eye out for the book. I, am, I intend to release it in January 2023. And with your support, we can make this project happen with the beautiful art and everything that comes around it. So, yeah, this is what we have for tonight. So I'm going to open it up for any questions or comments or thoughts. Um, this is intended to be just a, a discussion about the book, about storytelling, about women and storytelling. So I am really looking forward to hearing your thoughts and the conversation that emerges. All right. Everybody should have the ability to speak now. So. Laura. Well, you know, I always have questions about the writing and, and, and that excerpt you read was in that very, you know, kind of traditional folktale storytelling style. And then right after that, I was looking at the excerpt there at Folklore Thursday. It shifts into present tense, direct speech from the characters, their inner thoughts, you know, all that, 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 that modern storytelling stuff. And I'm just wondering what it's like for you as, as a writer, do you like spend one day where you write kind of like in traditional folktale mode and then some other day you're all like modern or do you go back and forth? They seem so different. And, and I'm just fascinated by how you do that. Thank you for the question, Laura. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I don't really have a writing system. I basically, so I read the so in, in the case of Konara, for example, let me walk through the process. So I read the original story, right, from uh, Peter Fuchs's connection, uh, collection, which we have read in the Twitter space here before, actually. So I, I, read the, I read the original story, and then I read about the Hajarai people in chat, who are the people out of whom this story comes, right? Because my thinking is, people tell stories for a reason. You know, there is always some underlying motive that connects to something they're trying to communicate, something they're trying to make real, something they're trying to bring alive. So I, I read the original story. I read as much as I could find about the Hajarai, about their way of life, their belief systems, men in their community, women in the community, what they do, what they eat, how they live. And then I just let it rattle around in my head for a couple of days. You know, I don't really plan 
I just let it rattle around and then the story comes. And I'll be honest with you, this short folk tale about the, the woman and the Margai. So Margai are the the spirits that Hajarai people traditionally venerated. Most Hajarai people now are Muslims. They mostly converted to Muslims. But because they live in the mountains, it took a while for them to convert because they were protected and they had a good defensive uh, position. So, and as, as is the case in most African countries, belief in the Margai, the nature spirits, have merged with Islam. So there's a lot of syncretism going on there. Um, but well, something I read that was interesting about the Margai is that the, the, the Margai and the, the chiefs, so basically a chief is associated with the Margai and a chief um, takes charge of a settlement. And the prosperity of the settlement and the happiness of the people is tied to the relationship between the chief and the Margai. So if it's a good relationship and the people prosper, become more powerful and prosperous, then the Margai is seen as a great Margai and more people are drawn to it. So I thought, and but, but then from what I was reading, so what I've read so far, it seems like the chiefs were mostly men. So I thought to myself, well, what, what if this, this Margai was affiliated with a woman? You know, how might that change the dynamic? And this this story popped in my head in the context of Konara's story because Konara is a is a complicated character. She's I don't imagine many people will like her. <laughs> She's one of those those women that you 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 struggle with because you're thinking why why would you make these choices that you make? Um, but Usually there's a story underneath the story. There are people, there are motivations for why people make the choices that they make. And what I've found usually is that if you look closely enough, you know, the lines between between what what is helpful and what is harmful can really blur. So I, I wanted to explore that a little because if you read um, the, the section where there are people offering the flesh of the bones and the essence of their souls, um, in, in certain contexts, that's just like, why would anybody do that? But then you think about it, you know, you have the story of Jesus, you know, who literally sacrificed his body, you know, for a cause. Um, there, is, there is a context within which people making such sacrifices has powerful, powerful repercussions. So I wanted to explore that as well. Um, so it, it really just, it, I, I, I just think about it as a product of my fertile imagination and trying to produce something that links all these different bits and pieces that that I find and come up with a story that can communicate something real, something interesting, communicate a message. Is that is that making any sense at all, Laura? Oh, absolutely. And and what I love about it, I like the idea of it just rattling around in your head. What it means for us is the readers is you find a way to get all that background into your stories. So I don't need a long note at the beginning about the Hajarai people because they're growing millet and I'm learning about their religion and it all is happening inside your story. And you do that again and again, in your stories, which I think is remarkable. I, at least for me as a reader, I think it's fantastic. Thank you, Laura. And, and just in case folks don't know, Laura is the one person who has read literally everything I have written for this book so far. So she, she's, she's coming from a good place when she makes these comments and asks the questions. And I'm, I'm super grateful for that. And, Yes, that, that is what I really, that's really my, my intention here, to not just tell a folk tale, right, but to say something about the people who, who told these stories, because I really, really believe that 
we use stories to organize how we see the world, what we believe about other people and about ourselves. And, you know, there there is, because there are just stories, there is a tendency to just, you know, say, hey, it's just a story. But it's always, always deeper than that if you know how to look at it. Of course, sometimes it's just a story, right? It's fun, you know, and there is no deeper, deeper meaning. But you can always take you know, even a fun, lighthearted story and, and make it something bigger. And that's that's what I'm trying to do here. So, yeah, I I really did enjoy this one, though, um, writing this, this short story. And that's something that I like. I like to do quite a bit. And you might be interested to know that another story that will be part of this collection, because it's a there are stories that I retell. So they're retold, but there are also a few of them which are original. So basically stuff that I, I came up with. And one of those stories is started out as a story within a story. So a story that someone in the modern times, this was a very modern story, you know, with planes and stuff. But someone told that story and then I thought, hey, this this could stand by itself. So I extracted it and expanded it and added a few things to it. And yeah, it's it's part of the collection now. So I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to sharing all of this with you people. Yeah, any other questions, thoughts, comments? Going through again to make sure that everybody can talk. Hi, Dustin, good to see you. Oh, hey, Aru, good to see you. Well, I've got another question too about the art because that's something new, right? Working with these artists. And right, I'm so right. curious how you did that because I remember I listened pretty recently to a video of um, Julius Lester talking about his relationship with Jerry Pinckney and how most of the time, at least as Julius Lester explained, publishers don't want the author and the artist to interact like they get in between them because there can be all kinds of weirdness and tension between authors and artists and the publishers want to keep it all separate and manageable. And so sometimes authors don't even see the art, you know, until the book comes out. Whereas this is very different. You've been in communication with these artists. What, what has that been like? I love that question, Laura. I love that question, mainly because that honestly has been more fun than even the writing. I'm not even going to lie. And, and just because the artists that I worked with are just so incredible incredibly talented so um konara's portrait i hope everybody has taken a look at it was done by zizian and if you don't know who zizian is you should know who zizian is because i i love zizian's art like every time i look at anything that they have done and i'm going to share a link to a compilation of their art in here um zizian draws pictures of black women like black women right and these are women who you know yeah you could go for the straight beautiful but no his women are stories I, I don't know if that makes sense his women you know how they show up are stories and from the moment I saw his art I immediately knew that you know because this the, the idea for this book has been something that I've been mulling in my head and if you know anything about mythological Africans you know that I am extremely passionate about bringing characters from mythology and folklore from the African continent to life, bringing the art to life, because that's, that's there's just such a huge gap there in the variety that's available. So 
I I always had Zizian in mind for certain characters that I wanted to depict, and Kunara, for example, was one of them. But you know, one of the benefits of this being my project, me, you know, working on this by myself, not working with a publisher, is that I have full creative control. So basically, what I did was reach out to a couple of them and said, "Hey, I'm working on a project. I would like to commission you. Are you interested?" And they said yes, thankfully. So I sent them. Uh, the the story to read, and then I send them background information, but pretty much like my writing process, right? Because I I wanted the the stories, the the people to be true to the cultures out of which they come. So I send them the stories. I send them pictures of people from the 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 different communities, you know, from as way back as I can find. So they would get familiar with facial features, with the style of dress, with you know atmosphere. Um, uh, 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 environment, mountains, forests, and things like that. And then I just let them do their thing. And I'm telling you guys, these these are incredibly talented because even from the very first sketches, you know, I would make a few suggestions to say, hey, you know, can you tweak this? Can you tweak that? I remember with Konara, um, at first I had no idea how Padurai people dressed back in the day because they're Muslims now. So, you know, there's hijab and all of that. But if you read Peter Fuchs's book, you know that they were not in hijab back then. You absolutely know. And Laura, Laura, I think you know what I'm talking about here. You know that these people were not in hijab back then. So I, I went through the book and tried to pull up as many references to dress as I could find. And what we found out was that the women, you know, often would just wear cloths around their waist and they would go bare-breasted. But they had jewelry and, you know, beautiful gold jewelry and things like that. So I sent that information to the artist. I sent some pictures of, you know, present-day Hajirai women. So he would get a sense of their facial, facial features. And then I let him take it away and just, bam, you know, it came out even better than I could have possibly imagined. And of course, they put in little bits of, you know, touches here and there that gave the picture a little bit extra spice. Um, Konara's portrait, for example, has uh, the skull of a vulture on her head and, you know, this is relevant to her story, who she is in the story. And so it was just this organic process that just kind of worked itself into this sweet, sweet, sweet collaboration, which I, I just, I can't, I can't wait to keep doing this because I really believe in the talent that is coming out of the African continent right now. Like, and I am glad to be in a position where I can, you know, support it and be a part of it because it's, it's amazing. It's amazing what, what people have come up with. You know, I might make a suggestion here to say, hey, you know, this, this pattern that you use is from a part of the world that, you know, is not is from the part of the African continent where it's not possible for this story to be coming from there because they don't have, you know, these geographical features. But this is a cloth pattern from some part of the continent where these, you know, events are likely. And they just incorporated them and, you know, picture came out it, it's just been amazing and you know it baffles me when I hear that you know publishers try to keep authors away from illustrators because I remember the the when um was it Jerry Pink, Pinkney Laura when he was getting the award um and how you know he talked about how the 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 illustrator and I forget the illustrator's name after reading the story made so much of the art come alive because he incorporated little details, you know. The the forest was an alive, so he had little faces in the leaves. And I, I think that, that really happens when you can have a, a 
dynamic between the author and the illustrator. So it's baffling to me to hear that, but I'm glad that's not that's not the dynamic I was working with. It's been it's been amazing and fun. I, I just I can't wait to share more because there is more art, you guys. That's not all. That's not all. There is a lot more art to share. And I don't know if this is possible, but you guys are still kind of evolving the project. I know I absolutely love it when there's a, a little note from the artist in a book. And you see this sometimes in children's books where they just explain some of their process. So I don't know if some of your artists would want to contribute like a paragraph or something. But for me as a reader, I love reading what the artists have to say about their work. It helps me like see it even better. That is that is something that I plan to do. I'm hoping, you know, when when the project has matured some more, to have um, a bit of an exhibition, really, with the different artists, you know, talking about their work, their own. Because personally, I want to know what was going through their heads. Because Laura, you've seen some of the art, the the things that people have come up with. I'm just like, how is this possible? You know, how is this even real? I. I, I definitely want to have that session. But there are other projects that will involve the art alone. Um, and I, I, I'm definitely hoping to, to, to you know, put these, these, these uh, uh, amazing people in the spotlight at some point because, you know, without them, this book will not be, will not be what, what I hope it will be. Um, so, yeah, you, you can definitely expect to hear from the artists in that regard. I, I can't wait. It's, it's just been an, an amazing journey so far. And I'm just getting started. Like this, you know, I've been thinking about these stories and everything, but the art and everything literally happened in the last month and a half or two. So these people have been going hard. And I just, yeah. So there is this Yan, there is a Menjo Mark, and there is an Ijeoma Osi so far. And they, they, they have just blown me, blown me away by, by what they are doing. So yeah, yeah. Any any other questions, comments, thoughts? Uh, no questions really, but just uh, just a fan of the project and a fan of where things are going. So thank you for what you're doing. Well, thank you, Dustin. Thank you. I I really appreciate the the support, and you know, from one storyteller to another, I. I'm excited to be in this space with you all because I I remain just inspired by by what you're by what you and everybody else is doing you know telling stories finding new exciting ways to you know tell people stories making connections I listen to your podcast every now and then and I love how you group you know stories from different parts of the world into one setting so it's it's always nice you know go from one to another and just sit there and think about you know all these people over time just living in the world and reflecting on the world and we we get to be a part of this it's it's an amazing space to share with you all so thank you um avi yeah i also want to appreciate you for your project and I, i've got a comment as well as a question for you so i've been trying to learn about african mythology for quite some time now and uh, i've learned a bit about yoruba culture and Igbo cultures and uh, their mythologies but uh, i definitely buy your book once it gets published uh, <laughs> thank you the story the story that you told about konara i mean i was also trying to google it and i could not find find it anywhere this is the problem like um, 
for a lot of people who want to learn about African culture, it becomes very difficult because uh, there is not much published work. So I appreciate your work. And my question would be that, uh, of course, I was hearing the story for the first time. I could not follow it uh, completely, but but I did get uh, a, a huge uh, amount of, um, I, I got the idea of what um, that story was about. In the modern sense, it will come up uh, uh, like uh, cancel culture and, and stuff like that were going in my mind. But But I'll ask you, what would you think is the moral of this story uh, of Konara? Hmm. All right. So let me let me make sure I understand your question well, Avi. Are you referring to Konara's story in general or the excerpt that we read today? <clears throat> because remember the excerpt yeah, the, we read. The- yeah, the ex- excerpt you read today. Um, yeah, wh- what would you? Uh, what according to you would be the moral of that story? Okay. So the moral from this story, I would say, is that communities work when people appreciate each other when there is mutuality. You know, if you notice, what made the woman. Um, what made her community work was the symbiosis that existed between her and the Margai and the unit of her and the Margai and the people, right? They supported each other. So the woman was a channel through which the Margai's blessings came to the people. And because the people appreciated her and supported her, she was able to continue acting as a channel. And it wasn't until the, the, the chiefs disrupted that dynamic that they succeeded in in breaking that that spell, and I I think the the idea here is that whatever we're channeling our energy into, it works because we believe in it, it works because we put ourselves into it, right? It works because we we sacrifice our time, our physical bodies in terms of work, our soul essence in terms of passion and love. We we give it to that. We make it come alive. And that's not an inherently bad thing to happen, right? But it can also become, you know, a a, a, a weird process, especially if we look at, for example, the chiefs. If it becomes an exploitative thing, you know, where people are in it for themselves, then that whole whole dynamic gets disrupted. And I I think it speaks to the the general state in which we are right now as as humans, right? If we look at our planet you know, as, as the Margai, you know, and each of us as someone capable of channeling, you know, the, 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 the power that being a human being on this planet Earth is, then if we, you know, come into it with this attitude of serving, of, 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 of being for the benefit of other people, then we, we can make amazing things happen. But then if we come into it with a spirit of mistrust and exploitativeness, then we, we dispel that, that beautiful dynamic and then things, things go awry. So if that really was what I was, I think that's what came out, you know, of this story. And a Konara story herself is, you know, something else completely, but it ties back into this about how there has to be a mutuality that is established. If there is no mutuality, if there's no, willing you know commitment if there is no love then work 
becomes something else. Sacrifice becomes something else, and it's it's un unsustainable, it's untenable. So yeah, I, I hope that answers your question. Yes, it does. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. That was a really, really, really great question. I appreciate you asking it. So the we read an excerpt um, that from the the book that was published, and what's what's cool is that this is a story within the story. So there is still more to read if you have not read it yet, and um, there is there is a store which you can browse through because something I really want to accomplish here is make people as fluent in characters from African mythology as they are in mythology from any other part of the world. Um, and that means, you know, sort of mainstreaming it. Um, but part of the things I hope to accomplish with proceeds from whatever sales I make is to support some of the causes that I really believe in. And I'm talking about this here for the first time. Um, but you know, you heard it here first, but you'll hear about it some more. Um, there, are, there are some projects that I support in my home country of Cameroon. You've probably seen me talk about them um, on the timeline. But I'm definitely planning to make sure that some of the proceeds go towards this. These are projects that, you know, help girls, you know, navigate life a little bit better. Um, I'm hoping to direct some proceeds towards that. Um, but also just other projects that um, me and family members are involved in. Um, to make life, you know, bearable and tenable for people back home in my country. So browse the store. There's a link um, in the space which goes to uh, a picture of Konara. So you can check that out. But also just enjoy the art. If, you, if you're not able to make a purchase at this time, at the very least, enjoy the art because that's that's the main place where the art is on display right now. And hey, spread the word, right? Because this, this is a project I'm hoping to accomplish to 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 make come to life with your support um, as the mythological Africans community and people who are enthusiasts of mythology and folklore. So um, if a financial contribution is not possible, just putting the word out there. And if you need help with scripts or what to say, just let me know. I have that all ready to go. So I'm really, really hoping that together we can make this, we can make this project come alive. Done. All right. I'm going to stop talking now for any questions, comments, thoughts, suggestions on how to, to make this better. Well, your Kickstarter page, I thought, looked great. You know, all the elements fit together so well. And I'm wondering how, how hard was that to get set up? Because uh, it, it looks fantastic. <sighs> all right. I have, I have to say that I got some help. Um, I know one person on Twitter who has... Uh, done a successful kickstarter so i kind of threw things together you know and and it's a very intuitive if you've done a kickstarter before they basically walk you through the process tell you what to put and everything so i put all of that together and then i had um sierra um look it over and give her thoughts on you know what works what doesn't work and since um They've run a successful Kickstarter campaign before. Uh, she was able to make some suggestions about, you know, how to make it better. Um, and, yeah, I, it was really just, you know, going through and putting in the information. The The video, though, I have to say, it's funny. So the video, in case you've not watched it, I'm, I'm going to drop it in here, the promo video. That that really was was fun because when I once I decided to do a Kickstarter, you know, of course... The first thought was how how will I how will I make this happen, and I I thought about this for quite some time, 
make sure that the video is in here so you can watch it in case you haven't. I thought about it for some time and then, like I said, you know, throw in as much information as I can and let things rattle around in my head. And I woke up this morning and this video was clear as a blue sky in my mind, like how it had to go. Um, because I kept, what I kept coming back to is, you know, you know, these, you know, these women, but who are they really? What, 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 what are their lives? What was their character? What were their temperaments, their dispositions? And you look at the stories, you know, they were he heroines, you know, but beyond heroines, they were mothers, they were lovers, they were friends, they were monsters, you know, they were rebels, they were misfits, outcasts, you know, survivors of terrible, terrible circumstances, um, you know, sages, they were daughters and sisters and all these, all these multidimensional complex beings, which you know, sometimes the, the because I, I find that folk tales in particular, like we said, you don't get a lot of that interiority, you know, that sense of what's going on in their heads. Um, so you, you just sometimes can think about them as that character in their, that story. And part of this project is showing the, the person behind the character. So the idea to kind of do this quick, rapid changing sense of, okay, this, this is all who these women wear. Um, was it was just it was just clear it was just clear in my head and I, I worked through several um, iterations of it got feedback from a lot of people I, I have to say I have gotten just amazing amazing support from different people family members friends you know strangers just giving me their thoughts on how to make this make this happen so I, I you know worked on that on my computer you know PowerPoint Microsoft editor just like through some different ideas and colors around and the, the video I, I love it and I'm so happy with how it turned out and I, I think it's it's a lot of people have enjoyed it so it was it, I got a lot of help Laura to answer your question I got a lot of help with that that kickstarter page you know people giving feedback looking things over and making suggestions so um I I feel very just grateful for everything that has happened so far and I, I hope we accomplish what we're trying to accomplish here well, I love sharing it because every time I reshare it again at Twitter, it's like an excuse to watch the video again because <laughs> I think it's awesome too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. It's It's been quite the journey, but I, I'm, I'm happy with where things are so far. I I was just, the, the Sunday, last Sunday, I almost had a mental breakdown in my apartment because a few things were getting stuck and... Um, I don't know if it has changed on the user end, but you you normally are able to add um, um, items to your pledge. So say you pledge at one level and you want extra items, you should be able to add that. And that wasn't working. So I had to basically create the store, you know, in the Mythological Africans website and update it and make all do all this back end work and just make sure that I was ready for launch on Monday. And I was so stressed out by it, but the, the reception has just been has just been amazing. And um, folks who you know express interest and um, when I reached out to them to say hey um, this this I'm working on this thing you know people have just been so encouraging and supportive it's and we're just getting started so I'm 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 thinking it will be it will be it will be a good journey a little stressful I have to say because man but I feel I feel really really grateful to be doing this right now I think it's the right time too
And I think it's the right time too. All right, so we have just about 10 minutes together. Um, you can expect to keep seeing more things emerge, um, excerpts, you know, talks, probably will release a little bit more art um, and just more information about the project. And here's my kitty making her making her opinions heard. Do you like the story, kitty? No, you don't. You're putting your butt in my face as usual. Um, but just keep expecting to hear more about the project, uh, how we're doing. I, I think this was just an amazing start, just better than my better than my expectations. Really, you can put your tail in my mouth. I'm talking. Hmm? Better than my expectations um, were when I started. So I, I'm really, really, really hoping hoping for a good outcome here. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So watch the video, share the word, um, read the excerpt. Um, there might be another excerpt. That's that's the plan. So hopefully you'll get to, to hear a little bit more about the stories. And yeah, furiously working in the background to to give these stories life. Um, it's it's so important that we we achieve you know our funding target because I don't know if you guys know how Kickstarter works, but it's all or nothing. So if I don't hit the ten thousand dollar goal, I don't get anything. It's not like go for me. Where dips? Let me walk now. Really? Come on. I'm sorry, you guys. She is very very demanding, and I don't know what she wants from me because I try to pet her and she swipes at me. Um, but yeah, it's not like GoFundMe where you get what you get with Kickstarter. If you don't hit your goal, then you don't you don't really get anything. So um, I'm really hoping that we hit that goal because the art, you know, that I want to commission is going to depend on that. Um, but also, you know, editing and sensitivity reading to make sure that you know I don't perpetuate any further negative stereotypes because that's something that I am very sensitive to in a lot of the folk tales and I've talked about this on the on the timeline where you know you read about some mythological creature and then come to find out that you know this creature is actually talking about some marginalized person in a community and this shows up in in a few stories I was just today you know rewriting a section of the story because it struck me that a certain creature you know, might be characterizing, you know, an already disadvantaged group um, unfairly. So what, what I hope to do with these funds is commission more art. So we have amazing, amazing art. But make sure that I get, you know, qualified people to read through the stories and get whip them into shape, check to make sure that I am being fair and, you know, clear in how I represent people things. Um, some of the stories have um, snippets in the traditional languages of the people out of which the stories come. So I want to make sure that those get checked over. So there's there's still some workings, you know, to make sure that the story story uh, the stories come to life exactly as we would want them to, because that's important too, right? It's not just telling African stories, it's telling them well. Um, so yeah, there's there's quite a bit more work to do, but I I am I'm I'm hopeful I'm confident that we can all we can all make this happen. So yeah, um, if I can just jump in and say it's awesome that you're doing that, Helen, because there are publishers who publish African folktale books, especially for children, who don't do that, and it really bugs me when I'm reading a book and even I can tell something has gone wrong. You know that the publisher mm -hmm. was not. As, as diligent as they needed to be doing all this work like what you're doing and what you're committing to do. And I think that's fantastic. Well, thank you, Laura. Thank you. I, 
you know, I I shared a story um, on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, and I did that. You know, I perpetuated a negative stereotype, and it was pointed out to me, thankfully, thankfully, because I would never have known otherwise. And fortunately, this person wasn't, um, you know, didn't come at me in a weird way. It was just, you know, letting me know, hey, this is what this is saying. And I felt terrible. I felt terrible mainly because I know of this, right? I know that I've run into this before in other contexts where, you know, it might just seem like a harmless creature, but it really isn't. You know, if, you, if, you, it, if you're in writer circles, you hear about coding, you know, Jew coding and all these things where it's like, oh, it's this creature. But did you know that the, the author, when they were writing about it, you know, was actually referring to this group of people who are already marginalized. So that that definitely lit a fire under my butt because one of the, the damaging aspects of all the mess that we've been through <laughs> as African people is that there is this disconnect that has happened. You know, we are no longer, for many of us, we're no longer as immersed in our stories and our cultures. And even if we are, you know, it's easy to gloss over certain things. So the publishers might have missed it, but the authors too, perhaps were not even aware that that this is something or they just told the story because that was the story. But I, I think that if we are looking at the future, whether we're telling stories about the past or we are writing speculative fiction, the, the onus is on us as writers, as artists to to correct these things because... As I've talked about before, the stories that we tell ourselves about who we are inform who we really become. So if we if we want, you know, say people with albinism, for example, to be treated better in our communities, we cannot, cannot continue uncritically replicating stories about monsters that are based on people with albinism, because that's the story that was told. You know, some stories maybe we can let go of if, if they are unfair to certain people. So, but... um. Yeah, I I'm, I'm, I have a lot of hopes with this and for the conversations that will come out of it and, you know, where where this might push the, the agenda for storytelling from the African continent. So I'm, I'm excited about this. I really am. I really am. All right, friends. So just about four minutes left in the space. This has been so much fun. Um, thank you all for making it. Thank you for your great questions. Avi, Dustin, Laura, thank you for supporting the project on the timeline, for sharing about it, for talking about it, for donating. Um, and let's let's see how far how far we can take this. Let's see how far we can take this. And I'm, I'm glad to have you all on the ride with me. So before I close, any last questions, comments, thoughts before we wrap it up for the evening? Uh, just that last part when you were talking about taking out the harmful stuff in the stories, I do the same thing because sometimes I come across stories and it's like it's got language that I wouldn't use anymore or picking on somebody. It's just like, wow, yeah, I want to try stay as true as I can to the story, but there's this part that doesn't help the story at all and just hurt somebody. So I'm really glad that you're doing that. Well, I appreciate what you do on your end. Um, that that is a responsibility I take very seriously as a storyteller, and you know, it's it's something that I think people are more focused on. Remember the conversations around Game of Thrones. You know, just because women were treated like trash, you know, back in the day, doesn't mean that you know we have to watch that on TV. You know, it it has real life impact. It reinforces certain things. 
So some 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 things, even though they are accurate, you know, if people really want to know, let them go and read the historical texts, right? As long as we are not mis you know, saying things are the way saying things are one way when they really weren't, um, without context around it, right? Because there is of course creative license, but you know, not trying to gloss over, but also being sensitive to, to present realities that, that is important. So uh, it's it's good to see that being done. It's good to see that being done. All right, my dear friends. So thank you all so much again. This this really has been a pleasure. I'm glad you showed up to talk about this project with me. I'm encouraged by your enthusiasm. And I will see you on the Twitter streets. Keep an eye out for updates. Um, I'm sorry, but I will just be spamming your timelines with this for the next month. So please just bear with me and if it annoys you, you can mute me. For, you can mute me until October 26th when this is over. But um, we, we're going to be out here. And the I will try to keep up with Mythological Africans posts, you know. Um, something I'm trying not to do recently is um, just recycling material because there is just too much fresh material out there for me to be recycling things too much. So odds are, if you see me do the regular, you know, Mythology Monday, Fairytale Tuesday, I'm, I'm going to want to post new material. And if you don't see anything on the timeline, it's just between work and everything else going on, I've not had time to, you know, come up with something, something fresh. But, you know, this is the work. So regular, regular programming will resume at some point. It's just where we're in a, we're in a special project era right now. So yeah. All right, people, you all take care. Please stay safe. Um, keep your loved ones closed. And have a great, great safe weekend. I will see you on Twitter and off Twitter, if we are connected off Twitter. Thank you all so much again for being here. I appreciate your time. Um, for those of you who are in time zones, that means you stayed up late. I see you, Muhuka and Avi. I don't know if you're in India or you're somewhere else. I'm, I'm really glad you guys made time to stay up and, and spend time with us. So take care, you all. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Have a great, great, great rest of your evening and a weekend. All right. Bye.